Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The Engaged King, from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Well, if you're going to use classic rock songs for bumper videos, then you can't uh, leave out the Eagles, right? And we've been journeying through uh, the Gospel of Matthew and used all kinds of classic rock songs. And I love the Eagles. They may be the most famous of all classic rock bands. And that song right there is in their greatest hits uh, repertoire, right? And I, I, I picked that song because there's a line in there in that already gone thing. I mean, every every... Uh, every classic rock band is going to sing a, a song about being brokenhearted or about leaving the one you love or, you know, some mess up in their relationship. And this one's no different, right? This one's no different, but there's this line in there that just really sticks out to me. So oftentimes it happens that we live our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. I mean, that's as classic as it gets, of course. So oftentimes we're living in chains, we don't even realize, we just live with the chains, not recognizing we have the key. You know, that's what happens on Palm Sunday. Jesus rides in on the donkey. He's the key to the whole thing, and so many people miss it. So many people miss it. It's magnificent. He is king. He's king, and they're praising him. They're cutting palm branches and and laying them down. They're putting their coats down. They're shouting It's a parade. It's pretty magnificent. But uh, even in the midst of that, that one week, people don't realize he's the key to breaking all the chains in your life of slavery and and providing freedom. We're going to take a look at that today. But uh, the part that I want to focus on, which sounds a little unusual too, is this this, um, message today on Palm Sunday, it's actually more about marriage than you might think. It's about marriage. See, Jesus rides in on a donkey the first time to get engaged. And and the scriptures are full of this metaphor. I mean, God does this all the time. He gives us pictures. He gives us symbols. He gives us all kinds of things that represent really what it's all about. It's actually about marriage. It's shockingly about marriage. Oh, I'm not even married. I don't know why. Why am I here? What what in the world? This sounds crazy. Yeah, we're going to talk about it, whether you like it or not, because the Bible's full of it, right? And you're going to get to see. We're going to talk about donkeys, horses, kings, engagement, marriage, and virgins. All in one Sunday. I know. (laughs) Matthew chapter 25. There are 13 verses, so I want you to get ready. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. And there's 13 verses. While you're turning there, though, I want to set the stage just a little bit. Because, actually, Palm Sunday is usually, right, it's a time where we highlight the kingly entrance of Jesus. And I don't want to overshadow that, right? I mean, it's, it's important. He rides into Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life. Everything's been building towards these moments right here. He's determined. He's headed there for a reason uh, to end his life Uh, here on earth for his bride. He comes riding in on a donkey. And in Matthew chapter 21, let me just point this out, in verses 4 and 5, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. 
to tell, uh, tell the people of Zion, look, your king's coming to you, unassuming, and seated on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this happens, it's it prophesied just hundreds of years before it actually happens. And if you keep going in Matthew 21, it says, again, a large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees, spread them on the road. Crowds went ahead of him, and those following kept shouting. You know, it's just amazing. It's, a, it's an uproar. Remember, it's Passover, so lots of people there. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So we've already pointed out, Hosanna means salvation or deliverance. So they're saying, here comes our deliverer. Here comes our savior. That's what they're shouting. That's what they're yelling. Salvation belongs to the son of David, the Messiah. So he's it. He's here. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, some people wanted him to, you know, come in and start a gigantic riot, so to speak, a, a, a sort of a military thing, overthrow Rome. Some people are misunderstanding the whole thing. But he's coming to get engaged. So he is the engaged king. So on Palm Sunday, the focus is generally, like I said, on Jesus King. Today, I, I want to see that, but I also want to focus on this truth. He's not just a king. He's an engaged king. And soon he's going to be a married king. His engaged bride is the people of God. The people who trust him, the elect from every race, every nation. The scripture is really clear about that. The church. That's his bride. He came the first time 2,000 years ago to die for his bride with his own blood. He's going to come a second time to marry her and to take us, his church, with him to paradise. Paul says uh, this clearly. He uses the scriptures uh, to um, add layers to this, um, to, to this symbol, this metaphor, this great truth. Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32, when you look at these two verses, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then what does he say? He says, the, this mystery is great, but I'm actually speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So see, you can't avoid talking about marriage. That's what I'm actually talking about. That's what he says I'm actually speaking about. And then if you go up above that in verse um, 25, 26, and 27, he says, husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for her. There's the price he paid. There's the price he paid right there. To sanctify her or to set her apart by cleansing her with a washing of water by the words so that, they may, uh, that he may, be, uh, may present the church to himself as glorious, not having stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. So King Jesus came into the world to take a wife. That sounds crazy, right? He gave his life for her. And now he's at work by his spirit and by his word, purifying and beautifying her for himself and for her joy. And that's what he's doing. Matthew 25, 1 says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like then Ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So let's look at this. Chapter 25, let's see what this has to do with anything now, <laughs> okay? Let's connect the dots. I think it's pretty awesome. We can do it. 
says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five virgins were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them. But the wise ones took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, the bridegroom's here. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There won't be enough for you and for us. Go instead to those who are selling oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived and those who were ready uh, had already went inside, went with him to the wedding banquet. And then the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you, therefore stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, let's go here. Let's talk about the Christ, the groom, and the church. Let's just keep setting this up a little bit. There's some things we can't bypass. Paul says to the Corinthian church in um, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, he says, For I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Jesus spoke of himself in this way when the disciples of John said, so John the Baptist had disciples. So they, they, they say, why do, we, uh, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast, Jesus? So Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So one of the functions of fasting and praying is a lot of times people misunderstand what fasting should be doing and what it's all about. But fasting, denying yourself food for a time, and praying, it's to intensify prayer, but one of the functions of fasting is to say with our hunger that we want to focus on the bridegroom and pray for him to return. That's why Jesus says this, right? The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them and, and they'll fast and pray for him to return, you see? So Revelation 19 describes that return event like this. So I read it. Let's read it again now as we start connecting all the dots together, right? I heard what sounded like the voice of a vast throng. That's a lot of ruckus, all right? Like a roar of many waters, like loud crashes of thunder, they were shouting hallelujah for the Lord, the God, uh, Lord our God, the all-powerful reigns. Let's rejoice and exalt and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She was permitted to be dressed in bright, clean, fine linen for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's a church, Christ followers. And then the angel said to him, write down the following, blessed are those who are invited to the banquet at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. He also said to me, these are the true words of God. So on Palm Sunday, you cannot get around it. I can't get it out of my head today. Our focus is not simply on the fact that Jesus came 2,000 years ago as king, right? He's coming again as king. But the fact 
that the king of the universe came into the world to get engaged at the price of his own blood, that's what I don't want to leave out. And that will, he's going to come a second time to marry his bride and to take us to paradise forever. So everyone who trusts in Jesus belongs to that bride, okay? You're a part of the bride. You're able to call yourself the bride of Christ. So not every person, though, will be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Not every person will be able to get into the banquet, okay? Some are going to be outside wishing they could get in. So I'm encouraging today to trust Jesus, trust Christ, love Christ, be a part of his bride. Now, let's talk about the waiting for the wedding day. Because we're talking about this period of time between the engagement and the wedding. What does Jesus want to say to us today in our our position between the engagement and the wedding. That's what this is all about. Between the engagement and the marriage. What does he have to say to us who are the blood-bought bride of Christ? And one answer is given today right here in these 13 verses that we just read, right? This is Jesus' word to us about how the time between his coming to get engaged to us and his coming to marry us, what we're supposed to do, who we're supposed to be, what it's all about. Let's walk through the passage together. We're going to take it just one verse at a time. Verse 1, again, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, did you you catch that? The kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. Ten virgins took their lamps went out to meet the bride. Three things in this, in this verse. Look at the three things. It's about a kingdom and about a bridegroom. Whether you like it or not, we're talking about marriage today. It's about a kingdom and a bridegroom. There's a king and there's a bridegroom. The king is engaged. He's gone on a journey and he's going to return to be married. So that's where we're living. He's going to return again. So every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are... Celebrating, yes, the engagement, and we're praying and for his return because he's going to come a second time. The second thing is this parable is about the time between the first and the second coming. It just is. That's where we live, between the first and the second coming. And three, the virgins res- represent the visible church, the visible. Now, what do you mean the visible? That is, they represent those who profess to be Christ followers. That's different. We're all sitting in the room. I can't see inside your heart. Most everybody here, I don't know if anybody would say, yeah, no, 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 I'm not the church. I'm here. These virgins represent those who profess to be Christ followers, not necessarily who are actually Christ followers. So we're talking about what kind of happens in general all around here all the time. They're going out to meet the bridegroom, and they, they are not those people who want nothing to do with the bridegroom. So there's a whole lot of people that don't want anything to do with the church, don't want anything to do with Jesus. That's not who these virgins represent. I want you to look for the larger point here, right? Whether they represent those who are truly Christ followers or not, I think it's going to emerge. So don't get tripped up over that little thing in the parable itself, these 10 virgins are not the bride, okay? The bride makes no appearance, actually, in this story, in this parable. The bride doesn't make an appearance. The bride will make an appearance later. 
the details of the parable, you got to pay attention to them, but don't overthink it either. Look for the larger point. In some of the texts, in some texts, you can read through the New Testament, the church is pictured as the bride, most definitely. Here the church is pictured as the ones who go to meet the bridegroom and the bride himself. So it's two different kind of things. Those that go to meet the bridegroom right here, that's, the, that's how the church is pictured here. So Jesus doesn't want us to get tripped over that difference. So the parable is still about how we, the bride of Christ, should prepare to meet him. Okay? Now, look at verses 2, 3, and 4. Those, the, those come next. Five of the virgins were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive um, oil with them. So I don't think the percentages here are intended to say 50% of the church is foolish and 50% is not. That, that's not it. Okay. The numbers 10 and 5 are completely incidental. What's crucial is how some were foolish and others were wise. That's what's, that's what's critical. Okay. Some are foolish and some are wise. All 10 had responsibilities for them to carry out. All 10 of them. They're to be ready to welcome the bridegroom with lights when he comes. Light it up when he comes. That's what your responsibility is. That's their job. That's their mission. Be ready. It's down in verse 10. Okay? The tools appointed for that mission, for that mandate, for that command were oil and lamps. Oil and lamps. It was their responsibility to use the tools that were necessary for the work they had been given to do. They they were appointed the responsibility... To shine lights when he comes. Light it up. Make sure there's light when he shows up. But five of them did not take seriously their mission to give light. And they neglected the tools that they could use for the job. They were charged. They were commanded. Here's your responsibility. They neglected that thing. They, they took no oil. They only had lamps. Their job is to provide light. They had lamps with no oil. Sounds Foolish, exactly. The outward form, already the lessons can start stacking up. Just think about this. Remember, everything is metaphorical and all that, right? So the outward form of religion had no internal power. How many times do we put emphasis on form over function? People come and go. People visit church and come and go all the time because they're unhappy with the form, the way we do it. Not just here, all across the nation. The form has to satisfy me or I just, it, it's not doing it for me. I'm not feeling it, right? We put way too much emphasis on the form. It's like, think this through. It's like they liked the benefits of church, but they didn't, like, they didn't have a passion to use the necessary tools to fulfill the point of their role in the church. Things, you know, got to be all lined up for us. Perfect. Light, that's their role. We're all about light. Their foolishness was to think that the form of religious lamps would be enough. Or maybe that the power to light the lamp could simply be borrowed at the last minute, but in fact, it cannot be borrowed. Look at this huge stumbling block here for people. We're just like it. So, you know, whenever, uh, you know, a parable is presented like this, no matter what, it's easy to go, oh, yeah, I can, all those people, uh, yeah, that's the way it is, but not... You know, you don't, we don't think about that, that we don't see ourselves in the parable. Be careful. 
every last one of us is inside this parable somewhere. So, so, so think this through right, right now. Where are you in this parable? Verse 5, when the bridegroom was delayed, a long time, by the way, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. So I just, I just want to point out two more things. Really important. Jesus gives advance warning that he's coming or that his coming is going to be delayed. He says it throughout the scriptures all over the place that his coming is going to be delayed. We get the delayed part in our head and we can't get it out. We'll talk about that. It's a stumbling block for 2,000 years people are tripped over this. And if you want to flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter lays it out pretty good. He explains this pretty well. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 9, he says, Above all, understand this. Listen, you got to know this. Don't get this messed up, Peter says. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, Where is his promised return? I mean, he said he's coming, but I haven't seen him anywhere. Right? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, I'd say nothing's really changed, right? For they deliberately suppress this fact. That by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water. Through these things, the world existed at the time was destroyed when it was deluged with water. But the same word, but by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire. By being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, dear friends, he says... Don't let this one thing escape your notice. Pay attention that a single day is like a thousand years of the Lord and a thousand years like a single day. The Lord's not slow concerning his promise. He's not slow. At some regard, slowness, right? You just don't know God is what he's saying. He's being patient towards you because he does not wish for anyone to perish but for all to come to repentance. That's the only reason why he's waiting. He wants everybody at the banquet. He wants everybody there, so he's waiting. You know, we've, we've gone through some parables already where, where we're talking about this and how, you know, he puts the banquet together and he does everything he can to get everybody there. He wants as many people at the banquet as possible, right? Jesus said in advance here in Matthew 25, 5, that he would be delayed. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to notice, all right, about this stumbling block. It's not foolish to sleep. It's easy to go, oh, they slept. You know, you go back to the, para, or to the, the story where Jesus is in the garden. He gathers his guys around him and they can't stay awake. They slept. See, don't miss the fact that all 10 virgins slept. All 10. Not just the foolish ones. So this is not sleeping on the, jo- on the job of life. That's not the kind of sleep we're talking about. Sleeping's a part of our job. We're supposed to sleep. We're supposed to rest. What sleep signifies in this parable is simply the ordinary activities of life. So, so sleeping's a part of what we do. You should sleep. I've actually slept really good over this last year. I wasn't sleeping there for a little bit. And it is, you know, stuff I'm just worrying about. And you, you know, if you just let go of certain things and just cast those cares on the Lord, not dump everything on him. I'm not talking about that. Did you actually give him these things? He cares for you. And I just think you sleep better. 
We're not called to go up on a mountain and look into the sky and wait for Jesus. We're called to do the work. Then we're called to rest. Didn't do some more work. All 10 slept because sleep's a part of normal rhythm of life that we should follow as we work and then rest and then wait for Jesus. Work, rest, wait. It's all a part of it. Resting's important. Sleeping's important. Look at verse 6. But at midnight, there's a shout. I like this. Nobody's going to not hear it. There's a shout. Look, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. I love this. Paul puts it this way. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of a command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. A cry goes out. Now, I was at a wedding, uh, Lynn and I, on Friday night. It was really awesome. It was sweet. We were at downtown at this place called the Z Mansion. It's got a beautiful courtyard. It's downtown. You know what else is downtown? There's a train tracks. There's a train tracks. It's an awesome thing, right? You know, the train just is, blows that enormous horn just to let you know he's coming. Because he don't want you... In the middle of the tracks when he gets there. He just lets you know. And here's the thing. The wedding was planned to avoid that. But the train decided, going to do what I'm going to do. I mean, you can't, like, schedule the train, I guess. We have no choice, right? So what happens? See, this is Victoria and Peyton's wedding, right? What happens? They're standing there. They're doing their vows. And the train blows the horn. And here's the thing. Nothing else is going to impede the horn, all right? It doesn't matter what was going on. We're just going to stop and listen to the horn. And it really didn't last very long, but it seemed like a lifetime. It just went on, just just loud as possible, right? It'll be this great story, and Pastor Ben is using it in, as an illustration in your wedding, right? I'm so proud of you guys for being at church today. Congratulations, right? Yeah. You know, when Jesus returns, it's going to be like that train. I don't care what happens. There is nothing and no one that is not going to hear it. Nobody. I mean, you just stopped. We listened to the train, and then we moved on. And the DJ was brilliant. He played. He kind of broke the tension a little bit later, right? He plays this. He just piped up with the song Love Train after that or whatever it was, right? <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was perfect. I mean, what are you going to do? We had to submit to the train horn. That's what it'll be like. I mean, all throughout scriptures, it's described as this dramatic thing. Nobody is not going to hear it when Jesus returns. No one, right? Paul makes it really clear, right? The cry goes out. Here he is. Go meet him. Hold up your lamp as you go, by the way. Get your lamp out. Hold it up. This is going to happen someday. It's going to happen just like that. And what we're about to see in the rest of the parable is very sober warning to be ready. Look at verse 7, 8, and 9. Then all the virgins woke up. They trimmed their lamps. That means they lit them. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. And they said, no. There's not going to be enough for you and for us. Go instead and go, you know, the people are, there's people selling, go buy some for yourself. So when the shout goes out that the bridegroom is here, they light them up and they light up the empty ones too. All right? Still no oil, just outward form. You see that? I can't get over that. They light up the empty lamps. They trim their empty lamps when the command, commanding shout came. It's total 
foolishness. You can't describe it any other way. Light in an empty land, just total foolishness. They neglected the tools for the mission and their duty, and not even the shout wakes them up with their empty lamps. Not at first, anyway. They trim their empty lamps, their useless lamps, and then they go ask the impossible, give some of your oil. You catch that, right? The fact that the five virgins won't give them any oil is not, to meant, is not meant to teach selfishness. They're not being selfish. Don't think they are. It's meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing faith. It's meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing the Holy Spirit's power, the impossibility of borrowing obedience and faithfulness. It's too late. That's what we're going to see, right? What the wise virgins mean when they say in verse 9, there won't be enough for you and for us. What they mean is we can't have faith for you and for us. I can't do it for you. We can't have inner spiritual life for you and for us. We can't give you obedience and the faithful use of God's charged responsibility, right? If you neglect them in this life, we can't create them for you. Each one of us has to carry his own lamp full of oil. This is profound. So in desperation, the foolish virgins, they run for the impossible. Instant in-time obedience, <laughs> right? Instant in-time faith. No, I, I, no, I'm totally about this. I know exactly what's how I... And they're scrambling. They're scrambling. Verse 10 through 12, look at this. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived, and those who were ready went inside with them to the wedding banquet. Then the door was shut, Later, the other virgins came too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replies, I tell you the truth. Whenever Jesus says that, he he says it all throughout the New Testament. That means sit up, listen, pay attention. Just like when your mom grabs you by the cheeks and say, hey, look me in the eye. I need to tell you something important. Are you listening? Mom ever do that when you're a little kid? She wants your full attention. And then your eyes are looking back and forth like that. And your head's moving. She's holding on your cheeks. <laughs> that, that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. He's like, listen, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I don't know you. So that's what they're for me. So in light of everything that's been said. So stay alert. Because you don't know when the hour's coming. You don't know when the train's going to show up. These are terrifying words at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. I don't know you. That's terrifying. Can you imagine? Well, you need to imagine. You're a part of the church. You're one of the 10 virgins. Not a part of the world. I'm not a part of the world. I'm a part of the church. You had lamps. You had religion. You had your mission. You lazy. Neglect the oil. You carried the lamp. You kept it shiny. Others looked at you and said, oh, well, you got, you got life. You got faith. You got inner reality. And all you had was an empty lamp. And now you're about to face the one who sees right through your lamp and says, I'll tell you the truth, I don't, I, I don't know who you are. You want to hear those words, but many people are going to, so what does this have to do with me? Well, you don't have to hear those words. I don't know. You don't have to. 
don't have to. Verse 13, therefore stay alert because you don't know the day and the hour. What's this have to do with me? Be spiritually awake. Stay alert does not mean look out the window at night. It doesn't mean go up on a mountain and wait. Even, even the wise virgin slept when it was time to sleep. Stay alert means be spiritually awake, be alive and alert to Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he gives now and use everything God has given you to know him and to love him and to trust him. You should saturate yourself with the scriptures and know and and serve and be connected to the things of God. Be filled with the oil of faith and joy and hope. Be filled with it. Number three, what does this have to do with me? Use everything God's given you to know him and love him and trust him. I, I said that, right? I am repeating myself on purpose. Let this thought govern your life. Jesus Christ came to get engaged to a people at the price of his own blood. He came the first time as a king riding on a donkey. But the second time... He will come like this for his bride. I want you to stand up with me now. Stand up. It's one of these scriptures I just don't think you should sit down and read. Listen to this. This is how he's going to come riding in the second time. Are you ready for this? (laughs) It's amazing. Watch this. Starting in... uh, Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened up and here came a white horse. So this time he rides a horse. The one riding it was called Faithful and True and with justice he judges and he goes to war. His eyes are like fiery flame and there are many diadem crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He's dressed in clothing, dipped in blood, and is called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven, dressed in white, clean, fine linen, were following him on white horses. From his mouth extends a sharp sword, so that with it he can strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he stomps the wine presses of the, fury, uh, of the furious wrath of God, the all-powerful. He has a name written on his clothing and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. I... I think that's the most amazing scene. You know, the the scene in front of that is all about this banquet that's represented at these tables, this feast, this magnificent wedding reception, and Jesus comes in the second time riding on a horse looking like that. I want to be ready for that. I want to have my lamp lit because you're not going to be able to ask anybody else for the oil. Are you ready? That's what this day is all about. We're just at the wedding rehearsal dinner right now. I'm telling you, the banquet's coming and it's going to be magnificent. But when Jesus comes back the second time, he means business. Does that describe somebody who you're going to get to let you in the banquet if you're not ready? It's not going to happen. He is faithful and true and just. Let's stay alert and be ready. Thank you, Lord God. 
This is a day we want to look back and remember and celebrate. This is a sobering day. This is a day uh, truly where we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You came, you, you, you loved us so much, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to die for us. We don't want to forget that. We're here to remember. We're here to celebrate. We're here to worship. Help us not get all stuck in the forms, but the function, the function of everything here, God. It's not about us. It's actually all about you. Constantly remind us of that, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.